Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. With me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell West. And here in the Indian summer of uh, High Wycombe, we're going to bring you talk about what are we talking about? Disease. Oh, yes, what a jolly topic. And uh, recording your role playing sessions, whether it's a good idea how to go about it. And indeed listening to other people's recordings. Yep. And also, uh, how to scare role players who have been doing this for a while. And uh, putting the same scenario into different systems. What do you have to change? What does it change without, you, without the option? Let's begin. I keep going on about not getting on a bit. One of the pleasures, one of the delights of getting older is discovering more and more bits of your body that can fail in more and more interesting ways. Um, I am a hypochondriac, I admit this, and I take great pleasure in the number of uh, things that can go wrong. But you might as well enjoy it. Well, you might as well. And leaving my doctors after uh, one, one more regular checkup. And having watched um, some episodes of House recently, <laughs> I started to reflect on the role of uh, disease, illness rather than injury, in uh, role-playing games. Now, in the early days, um, back in the very simulationist early days, it struck me there was a lot of this about. There's a lot of disease in early editions of RuneQuest. There's a whole evil goddess of it. And uh, there's a lot of disease uh, written up in Han, and the chances you can catch uh, unpleasant things from the edge of the blade that has recently been poked into you is explicitly covered. Yeah, but I think this is something that the the D and D family, its it, its descendants, yeah. don't really cover in a big way. I mean, you've got certain monsters that will give you a horrible disease. Yeah, if you, if uh, you fight tomb them rot, cautiously. Right. Yeah, I remember tomb rot from but, uh, the, the, all those mummies. But basically, uh, like language that we talked about last time, mm. it's an obstacle because once you've got a cleric and that cleric can have cure disease, it's basically, right, we, we've got the yeah. key to get through this door, we don't have to worry about it again. And, and yeah, frankly, that's boring. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's, it is pretty boring if you've got a major character, a player character, who is uh, is coming down with disease, normally. It is. I mean, it happens in uh, TV and uh, movies, especially in serial TV. When uh, Tony Dinozo in NCS catches the plague, you know, unfortunately, that he's not going to die of it. <laughs> um, he's going to be, he's going to struggle manfully, and the rest of the team are going to go out and find and find the cure and bring him back. And that is almost as boring as uh, as having a, a major decapitating. The, there are no decapitating diseases. I know. As far as you know. As far as I know. Note to self, the, the, the roof head plague has got to come into one of my games sometime. On the other hand, I suspect that a lot of the TV programmes do that because if the guy's going to be away from filming for, for a week or whatever mm. the production schedule is, you, you can take, you know, five minutes of shots of him in bed looking heroic yeah, and then do the rest of the show with everybody else. So that does strike me as a thing you could do when you've got an absent piece, well, absent player. Yeah, except that, that you're sort of giving them a uh, a guaranteed get out of, of bed free uh, card. Um, you, you've got mm -hmm. to you've got to guarantee. So, is there any way we can use diseases to make them more interesting? I mean, there are diseases which are interesting, and which are, one of which I'm having problems with. Slight problem. Well, plot development with in one of my campaigns at the moment, which is lycanthropy. I have a um, player character who is a good Christian uh, priest, but also happens to have been bitten. And there are back, there's background stuff about the elven werewolves living in the woods who want to tempt him over to the wild side. And the chance of him to become a more controlled werewolf is part of what I've been uh, weaving into it. Uh, but then, again, if you don't do something special with it, it's a bit boring. Yeah, Because think, he, like a sensible chap, he locks himself in the vestry cellar um, every uh, three nights every month and doesn't worry about it the rest of the time. So how can we make disease, if it if it's disease uh, as a thing in the background, a thing for the players to conquer is one thing, and disease as it happens to the player characters is another. 
Right. I, I was thinking about um, an urban fantasy sort of setting. Yeah. Uh, though I suspect this would be somewhat true in your game as well. Um, you can have diseases... So, say you've got you know, your vampires or werewolves or whatever hanging around the fringes of modern society. Mm. You can have diseases that, are, that only affect them, or affect them much more severely. Well, who cares about the vampires? The, the player characters do, if the player characters are vampires. All oh, right, that's true. Go on. The, the thing is, the advantage here is, uh, you know, in, in the modern setting, most of us assume, you know, antibiotics keep working and things like that, yeah. which, which will be true for another few years at least. Um, I'm putting all my money on nanotech, or at least crossing my fingers for it. But if you've got a creature like that, A, human medicine hasn't really studied them very much, mm. because they're living in, the, in secret or whatever, and B, quite often... Um, they, they may may actively anti-scientific in their outlook anyway, because, mm. you know, we are the old folk, we are the magical folk, we, ha we have no need for these uh, NMR scanners. Yeah, I, d I do wonder whether, where what's her name, Sister Poppy at Hogwarts ever bothers to consult anybody outside <laughs> the school, you know. A recent TV series, the name of which I've forgotten, which I'll put in the show notes, um, de deals with this because you have various creatures of fairy living in the modern world. Uh, almost human? No, but... Some of them are very much engaged in society. That they are doing things like employing human doctors to try to find out what this strange stuff is that's going on mm. with them, and bringing those human doctors up to speed on magic and magical physiology and so on, which is something that doesn't really come into most games. Yeah, that. To be frank, though, 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 it's interesting. It's it's interesting um, in a techie sort of way to have the um, player character doctor. Um, who is capable of doing all this re research? It's it's less, um, it's less interesting. For, it, it boils down at the table to to a few dice rolls, research. Uh, yeah, but on the other hand, you thought you you thought you were an immortal super being, hmm. but now now you, now you've got the um, whatever sort of rot you've got. Yeah, um, this is not something you're equipped to deal with. You don't have cure disease spells. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. And you're not technically speaking alive, um, so that really bit of magic really shouldn't work at all. All right, well, hang on. The uh, in in a, in a fantasy setting, let, let's yeah. say you you are looking at something like your classic D and D world where you've oh. got cure disease spells. In that case, if there is an outbreak of disease that's more than one or two people in an isolated wilderness, that is that is a sign of divine disfavour. It couldn't be anything else. Yeah, uh, I've mentioned before the fact it irritates me that according to Ars Magica 5, leprosy is always a sign of the, the, the divine wrath um, uh, descending on, on somebody. Yeah, well, that, that's a mindset thing. I mean, considering your lycanthropy example, hmm. as modern people, we are quite happy to say that this is a disease, it may, it may push you to behave in certain bad ways. Yeah. But fundamentally, you have not intrinsically become an evil person. Whereas suddenly, medieval mindset is very likely to think, "Well, yeah, I'm God, a cursed. I'm a cursed. God, God has cursed you, and you are a bad person. We should have nothing to do with you." Yeah, it is. Um, it, it is a problem. And what was I going to say? Hang on, backtrack, backtrack uh, my mind a bit. Oh yeah, I was going to say on the topic of researching diseases. It might be possible for an episode or two to d structure something like um, an episode of House, suitably mm. um, supernaturally or strangely or super scientifically themed, using something like Gumshoe, perhaps, with its, its trailer clues mm. set up. The, the, the trouble is uh, you're going to have to come up with a convincing set of of techno babble. Now, let's be perfectly frank. Most of us listening to House, all that explanation, especially the bit about why it's not lupus, is techno is techno babble. Mm. It, it flows over us, and what we're looking at is the interpersonal relationships and that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean, because we're playing for nerds and geeks, that doesn't mean it doesn't have to make sense. And if you rely on this, you will get a player who knows what he's talking about. Or at least... The knows about... more than the GM does. Mm. Or, or is willing to bluff more than the GM it, it's does. It's not that so much. The, th the thing I've found in games is that players have a very low tolerance for Technobabble as Technobabble. It, it, you, you can say, you know, that the, the foo goes into the bar and produces effect Baz. But yeah. they will then want to say, OK, what, what happens if we don't put a foo into the bar? What if we put a quox into the bar instead? They, they yeah. want to try. Th you know, it doesn't matter if the words are nonsense, but the words have to be consistently used. 
Yeah, this because was, they're going to break it otherwise. This was something that irritated me about uh, Robin Laws's. I've been reading Robin Laws's Ash and Stars, which is a is is a fun sort of a, sort of a game in in many ways, but he has a tendency to uh, techno babble away the bits at the fringes about how fast the starships travel, um, how this works, how that works. Do it. He he always wants to say do it in the way that make that serves the drama best, but that's a sort of Attitude, I think, that leads to well, a Star Trek sy- sy- symptom of forgetting what happened last week, yeah, and 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 leads to inconsistencies and to players who will say to you out of the blue, "Well, if I can do that, then surely I can do this," and you're looking at them and saying, "Yeah, I suppose it would have to work that way," <laughs> and um, and, and excuse yeah. me, I'm just going to have a quick loo break. <laughs> <laughs> My bladder is sensitive to to players pulling one on them. In in a way, um, I think role playing games, as, as at least as we've tended to play them, are the opposite of new stuff every week serial fiction. Because what a lot of players like, um, I'm certainly uh, prone to this myself, is here is a thing that I wrote on my character sheet, you know, twenty sessions ago. Yeah. Hey, I can use that. I can come up with an inventive way to use this thing. No, no, that, that... It, it might be an item of equipment or a skill or a contact or whatever. Yeah, that but there's there's that feeling that yeah you 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 should be it's like Lego you should be able to plug it together and make sense out of it. Uh, yeah, I've got a cue here. I'm sure I can find a word which which uses cue somehow. <laughs> I was thinking about um, science fiction settings. Usually, yeah. it's assumed that disease isn't a problem most of the time. Mm. Though th- there's certainly a lot of classic science fiction of you know heroically getting the vaccine or the cure or whatever to to a, a planet that's got a worldwide plague. And actually, uh, going back to the topic I was trying to raise at the start, there have been occasional moments where it becomes interesting that the player characters have the disease. There's a Deep Space Nine episode which um, about a disease which destroys your language ability, mm-hmm. and the uh, and the player uh, and the central uh, character in it is Major Kira. Everybody else succumbs to it. She succumbs to it last. But she tracks down the person who created the disease. It's an artificial war play created to attach the, attack the Cardassians and left behind on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And she carefully gives him the disease. So it's now his problem to to fix it. And that's... Mm. A, a, I'm not sure you can... That's the sort of thing you want to aim for. You want to... If you're going to give the player characters the disease... You want to have plotted out a way out for them that isn't too easy to find. But then yeah. you want to sit back and f- let them find a way out of it on their own. And preferably there should be a way out that involves the sort of thing that PCs do. I mean, yes, all right, if, if your player characters are a bunch of scientists and researchers and so on, then fair enough, but most player characters aren't. Yeah. Whether that's you know, escorting the convoy of researchers into Zaya so that they can contain the Ebola outbreak hmm. while there's a civil war going on, yeah, um, I could see that working. Yeah. But yeah. both sides of the civil war claiming that the other guys are starting false rumours of disease so so as to make territorial gains. Hmm. Another thing that strikes me as possible is the disease that gives you opportunities for good role playing, for drama, and for for characterisation to make your character act like. They normally wouldn't, and you play up against the contrast. Mm. Uh, Lycanthropy is like that. If you if it has the uh, the berserker and um, and uh, compulsive attacking people aspects, and there are lots of diseases with psychological effects. Again, you've sort of got to fix in the cure. It's got to be there somehow, unless you know you're doing a post-apocalyptic. Everybody dies. Oh, here's a replacement character, sort sort of a thing. Which uh, I, I ranted about about how unfun contagious zombies can be um, in, in mm. the past. Unless it's a one shot of that style, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's worth possibly branching a little briefly sideways into Call of Cthulhu because while characters going mad is one of the ways characters get out of the game. Yeah, um, it's also fun. It's fun to play. Yeah. I think I like the Unknown Army's model of mental decay slightly more than Rourke or Cthulhu because it gives more chances um, for you to be crazy but still functional. 
it also tends to tie in what goes wrong with you to what you've experienced better than it yeah. does. As a thing for pe for player characters to overcome, uh, disease is a good thing. The the finding the plague, getting the serum through, uh, discovering uh, discovering what's really going on, placating the god. But I think that every time you do it, you shouldn't be afraid to risk the death of the player characters or their permanent di disfigurement. It should be a minor risk. It should be... There was always a path out, out of it. But on the other hand, I, and this is part of my feeling about the necess necessity of randomness, there should be a genuine chance of things going badly. Yeah, con consider the sort of character who in GURPS terms would have selfless. Yeah. He's go going in among the space lepers to, tr to try to treat them in, in spite of the risk to himself, well, there needs to be a risk to himself. Yeah, that's perfectly true. Have we have we, have we wrung, the, uh, wrung, wrung this one out? Oh, yeah. just, Should just, we just sterilise it? Yeah, I, I do like the idea of vaccination deniers being the victims of uh, mimetic warfare designed to soften up the human population before the alien invasion. But hang on, hang on, go I'm, back. I'm not uh, optimistic. You, hang on, you were what? What? Do that again. <laughs> vaccination deniers. Ah. Oh. That's really, um, yeah, that, I'm not putting that into a, in, into a game, at least nothing I, I publish. It could get me into terrible trouble. <laughs> Onward. Everybody knows that role-playing is not a spectator sport. Except sometimes it can be. Listening to game recordings can be quite fun. Yeah, I've been considering doing this with my next uh, campaign that I'm starting, uh, partly as a means of recording it so that I will have a permanent record and something I can draw write-ups and the campaign record from. People putting it up, it's... Who is this appealing to, do you think? Well, I used to ask that, and then the answer turned out to be me. Oh, right. Um, I, I've been listening to quite a lot of material from yogsothoth.com, yeah. uh, who've been putting up Call of Cthulhu campaigns for something like ten years now. Mm. It does strike me as quite odd. They, they mostly use pre-written adventures. Yeah. But I've never been a big pre-written adventure fan anyway. There is a bit of technical usefulness here in that if you're planning to run that adventure, you can get some idea of the sort of strange things that PCs will get up to. Yeah. But, yeah, really, it's most it's just entertainment for the most part. It, it okay. can, can be quite long. I mean, a, a full... Uh, I, th I think they got horror on the Orient Express in something like eighty hours of. Oh boy, I, it's usually sort of forty to sixty. I've listened to a few in preparation in preparation for this. It's it's an odd sort of peeping into other people's lives uh, sort mm. of thing. You're yes, you're looking at a bunch of people who've been playing together for for probably some considerable time in it and who know each each other and each other's tropes, and you're listening to their interactions and their jokes and their diversions off into what they saw on telly the other the other day and it's it's certainly it's very interesting i'm, I'm not sure my players will uh, thinking about it, i'm not sure my players will allow me to put their private lives <laughs> up there um in, in quite that way it was very disconcerting having um, listened to quite a lot of this material then actually meeting the ysdc people at their games day they look differently don't they it, it's more I, I, I know about that joke, but if I join in, I look completely weird because you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Roger, you're a stalker. Yeah, it does, does feel a bit that way. So, hang on. Let, let's, let's look at practicalities uh, for a start. How, um, technically, if we can not get too technical, how, how, do, how, how do people go about this? Um, the, the tech varies quite a bit. Uh, as, as far as I can see, a lot of people use small portable recorders just something the size of a walkman, stick it in the middle of the table, mm -hmm. just leave it running and then edit later. Uh, you're going to look at, you need something more sophisticated if you're going to do um, stereo, which is what yogsothoth.com are doing. Yeah, but uh, even a lot of the small ones uh, do have two mics pointing in different directions. What, what they're using now, I believe, is a, is a foam head with the microphones mounted in the ears to get the right stereo separation distance. <laughs> yeah, it right. also means they can address the head if, if they want to. Oh, head. <laughs> Um, I, the, I, haven't, I haven't tried this in a big way. Um, l last weekend at the 
third wireless DC games to edit. In fact, record my game using the same laptop rig that we're using now. Yeah. Uh, I haven't listened to it in detail yet, but it certainly seemed to be comprehensible. I don't know if it's going to be good enough to be releasable. Okay. I would say, given that there's a lot of chatter uh, going on, uh, I, I, I tell you what, from what I've, I've listened, I would give one, one word of advice, which is cut out character generation. I've listened to the start <laughs> of two campaigns and people sitting down and rolling dice and saying, ooh, I've got a 93 on my dexterity. It's not interesting. Mm. It's And especially um, uh, uh, listening to anything of lengthy extension. Um, all right. I, I know I know this was put up by one of our listeners and he pointed us at it, but I was going to say, listening to somebody generating a Pendragon character, a whole table of people generating Pendragon characters, <laughs> was not really interesting. You need to start with, we're seated around the table, we've got all our characters, who are you, who are you, who are you playing? Actually, I must admit, I kind of enjoyed it, but... <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, but I know all about the... Well, I, I own all the, those supplements and source books mm -hmm. and i uh i know about um i don't want to hear people saying "Ooh, um i've got I, i've got this inherited from my family and i've got that inherited from my family i want i want to start with with, with actual play which is what the yog sothoth seem to do yeah they, they um have on occasion released the character generation episode after the campaign mm. as, as, a, as a bonus for patrons and it, it can be quite interesting to see where, where did this particular character concept come from. Mm. But it, it's more of a technical thing than straight you know, radio play type entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's what you're, you're aiming for. You're aiming for um, radio theatre with um, occasional game mechanic um, intrusions. Mm. I, I, noticed... I, I had thought about recording the current talk campaign, but not, not only um, is it an extra hassle... Mm. Um, technically, it's just it's, there's the question of rights as well. I don't, you know, the, the YSDC guys ha have a deal with Chaosium that they are allowed to broadcast these adventures. And that's fair enough. I don't mm. know the details, but I don't want to start trying to negotiate that sort of thing. No, well, no, quite. Ah, that's a th thought I hadn't occurred to me. Luckily, the thing I'm thinking of recording you will be the run under gaps will be all my own work ish. Now, the thing that did surprise me a lot is how important it is, is to have a um, accent that one can listen to in a relaxed way and I've listened to quite a lot of games particularly on RPG MP3com hmm. uh, played by American gaming groups okay and the, the, this they, is where we lose half half the gaming well seven uh, three quarters of the gaming community Roger be very careful here well no it's it's not that they are American it's that they are not an accent that I'm used to listening to yeah and and therefore they need to be more interesting to hook me in and keep me listening and I, I would not be at all surprised if Americans felt the same way about British gamers and all the rest of the combinations. Yeah, I don't, I don't find that a problem. Um, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't offended by uh, attempts to act um, <laughs> either. I, all right, I, I am a professional actor when I can get the work. God help me. And 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 I, I cringe a bit when I go and I, I don't anymore go and see masquerade science fiction conventions because. Um, but I wasn't offended. Uh, role gamers don't appear to go too far over the top. They do indulge themselves with a little bit of um, "I am now in character," but it, but it, but it, it doesn't go. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't set my teeth on edge. I don't know how much people will change when there's a microphone relative to when there isn't. Yeah. But I think for a, for a normal group, they're, they're playing deliberately to each other, to their mates anyway. Yeah. Rather than to the great big audience out there. One thing I did notice of interest was the. The pattern of uh, of management and um, and power relationships, I suppose, between the GM and the players, with the GM trying to say, yes, yes, I'm doing this now, and the players saying, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, give me what I want. <laughs> that is perhaps a nasty, cynical way of looking at it. This is oh, that's a worthy, it's a worthy thing. It's very odd that we do this. Um, I mean, it's mm. odd, it's not hobby hobby anyway. Are there any further dangers or interesting points we haven't covered? Well, just um, going back to the technical thing, um, if you if you want it to, to take your notes from or to check your notes from, yeah, then the technical constraint is much easier because you don't need it to be a particularly good quality. Well, it's primarily what I'm, thi I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of recording it on my I iPad and um, and then editing it later 
um, if necessary. Yeah. And the, the games I run partly by voice over IP, I effectively get recording as free. Yeah. It's it's telephone quality. You you wouldn't want to release it to the world, but but it is good enough to to page through yeah. and um, try try to find where somebody said something, which can be horribly embarrassing when you realise. Hang on a minute, none of us actually mentioned going back to check that the explosives had gone off, mm. including the GM. <laughs> yeah. So so this is why I end up doing a write up. Also, yeah. a speech recognition system would be great. Wouldn't it just? Well, an artificially intelligent computer that could take notes as we went would be really, really nice. But but if we're going to wish for the moon, oh, Roger, let's really wish. Do you think... How do you make people aware of these things? Um, if, assuming you want people to be aware of these things. How do you make people aware of the podcast? We should probably be doing better at that, too. Um, I, I believe IPGMP3.com accepts user submissions. Okay. Uh, they certainly have at some point in the past. I haven't checked recently. Uh, or one can just put up a blog and promote it among people one knows. Yeah. Uh, as uh, David Larkins, who, whose comment inspired us to do this segment, is doing. He's got a blogspot site. Uh, the, the, the big files are hosted on archive.org. I really must go back and listen to... The, I can't remember if it was him or somebody else pointed me at a tech email. Um, Empire of the Petal Throne game. Hmm. Actually, running use, using Empire of the Petal Throne, which is very retro of them. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I go back, go back to that one. It certainly would give me a chance to listen to some stuff that I keep meaning to run and uh, keep thinking, oh, I don't really have the experience for this. Mm, one, one of the things that attracted me to YSDC in the first place was here, here are classic Call of Cthulhu adventures that people talk about in really mm. quite positive ways, but I don't really know them, I've never actually played them. Yeah. So, yeah, what's all the fuss about? Yeah, but uh, sort of spoiling it for yourself for later. Yeah, but I'm unlikely to get to play them anyway, so... Fair enough. So, thank you for drawing our attention to this. Please draw our attention to any other remarkable, laudable examples of the genre. Indeed. Recently, both of us recently attended the World Science Fiction Convention up in up in London and had a good time. Thank you for asking. And I decided I would run a scenario there for their games thread, which um, is big was bigger and better than it has been in the past, which is all to the good. And in preparation for this, I ran it a couple of times. Um, once with my local group as a a break when we were. We didn't have everybody there and we weren't running our, our regular game. And once at StabCon uh, to try it out. And the first time I did it, I did it with a Dungeon World. It was a fantasy scenario of accompanying a bride to her arranged marriage and assu assuring that she and the groom got there scandal-free, alive, um, mm. uncontrolled by necromancers. Unmarried to anybody else. Unmarried to anybody else in time for the very important wedding. The first time I ran it, it was in Dungeon World, and then I ran it again, having started it out completely in GURPS, which is my preferred system. And I noticed, I noticed a phenomenon which will happen every time you use a scenario in two different systems, which is the emphases change. And I want to talk about the way we way systems constrain our paths through the same story and the way that players play. Dungeon World, for those of you who don't know it, is an adaptation of uh, the mechanics in Apocalypse World, which is a very um, indie, new-style game, um, to the genre, to the tropes of old style, the old-style revival of original D&D and its followers. You have a fairly rigid set of player handouts, which go into making the characters defined by by classes and each player character has at least at the start just there's just one fighting group there's just one cleric there's just one magic user and they progress by levels and they go down dungeons and they solve problems and this leads to a lot of opportunities for dramatic moments for the the players for doing the big scene for that character's particular abilities and 
guides the players into the dramatic tropes of uh, of old style D and D. Whereas GURPS is a more a detailed uh, system, and you can build the characters in more detail with more background, with mm, not with more personality, but with less melodramatic personality. And I I went through, and the results were more or less what I, I expected. The GURPS games came down into details. They are GURPS is a, is a system that's capable of showing the details of deciding second by second what's going to happen. Whereas Dungeon World, yes, there is that sense of being in the midst of things and each round of combat making a, di a difference. But it's much broader, much... It's not coarser, but it's less finely graded. Oh, that's, that's a, a mixed metaphor if ever I heard one. What I'm, I'm coming around to is the conclusion that when you choose a system, you choose the tools that you ha your, your characters have to solve. And when you have a hammer... Everything looks like a nail. Yeah, every, when you have a chainsaw, everything looks like hours of fun. Yeah, what I generally want out of a system is, is something that will give me a reasonably consistent set of results. Okay. But it may not be the same reasonably consistent set of results as some other system. I, mean, I would normally say I'm not so terribly mechanics-focused that it matters exactly what a PC can do, but actually it does matter, because you know, in, in System A, you've got your heroic warrior, and he can kill... Yeah, five orcs because they're, they're ganging up and then they're coming at him from different directions. But, he, but he's that good and he's that tough. That's that's Dungeon World with a good role. Yeah, yeah. But in a different system, fighting two guys at the same time is a challenge. Or in a different system, mm. you can mow your way through fifty. Yeah, the... not not because you're a different power level necessarily, but simply because it it does or doesn't take account of people sneaking up from behind you. Yeah, it does or doesn't let you kill people in one blow. It should be said that running the uh, the final GURPS version at the Worldcon, I came as close to a total party kill as I have in many a long year. It got down to the to the nitty gritty of a fight on the docks as the necromancers were about to um, carry away the bride, and it got down to one one player character being uh, uh, shivering on the ground in a fear induced coma, and one staggering forward with his guts hanging out. Um, are hoping that the priest would heal him before he actually keeled over, mm. and it was more finely detailed. I, it was more tense than the dungeon world, I think, was or could be, even if, even if they'd gone really, really badly uh, for them in dungeon world. There is a flavour of default heroicism, I, I suppose, in the in, in the system. Yeah, look, looking at game mechanics. Um... There have been arguments for years over just what hit points actually represent in D&D. &D. Yeah. But it's certainly the case that you can have a lot more of them than the guy you're fighting. And yeah. if you get into a fight, you are going to lose some of those hit points. Yeah. Unless you're completely overwhelming the opposition. Um, but you have lots of them. But a hit point... In, 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 in GURPS, if you lose a hit point, that, that's a real serious wound. Even if it's just one hit point, it's not a trivial thing. No, quite. And if if you're in a if you're in a fight in GURPS and you're losing hit points, that probably means you're going to die quite soon. Yeah. You quite often come out of a fight without losing hit points. That's a sign that you did it right, mm. not that you overwhelmed the opposition necessarily. So you you get people who are used to one convention who go into the other, and they are going to get disconcerted. I was playing with a total newbie to GURPS at the at the Worldcon, and I don't know if I overwhelmed him with with detail or made him think it was fun. Uh, it was really rather hard, hard to tell. Uh, last weekend I was running... It was his character on the uh, 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 on his knees, puking his guts out after the field shock after all. <laughs> last weekend I was running technically a Call of Cthulhu adventure that was written... It was written for use with GURPS, but it was written to be played by experienced Call of Cthulhu players. Uh-huh. And again, it's it's a difference in scale, it's a difference in detail. All right, what's the um, difference well, between Call of Cthulhu and GURPS? GURPS is super... Call of Cthulhu is using percentile skill system. All right. Yeah. A, lo a lot of your minor skills are going to be sort of twenties and thirties and things. Yeah. And it assumes that you're going to be you're going to be good. You're going to be competent. You're going to manage to do this thing only for really quite a small number of skills usually. Yeah. Maybe five or six. Yeah. Typically, whereas GURPS, if you've got the skill at all, you've probably got maybe twenty skills in your character sheet of which you at which you're reasonably competent at least in normal conditions. Yeah. On the other hand, GURPS makes hitting people with gunfire really difficult. Unless you stop and aim and 
Yes, that's true. You do you do do need time with ranged weapons. So there are just diff different things to adjust to. Fortunately, the um, dice luck of the players was was so terrible for the first few minutes that um, it didn't. They, they they were not really surprised that they couldn't do things. And then they, then they gradually got used to be able to get on with stuff. How does it work? Different. Yeah, I'm not sure GURPS services Magnus terribly well. I was using the rules out of horror. Yeah, the cosmic, the cosmic um, uh, effects. Or... So yeah, broadly speaking, people were were losing losing uh, points off their fright check number. Yeah, um, and uh, so, so somebody got a hysterical blindness because it was much more comforting for him not to be not to be able to see anything further than two yards away than to be able to see the dark young at the other end of the church. Well, yes. So somebody else mentally regressed to age ten, <laughs> but since since, since since Daddy was telling him what to do. <laughs> Daddy barely noticed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, that's a creative use of that particular table. Thank you very much. I'm pleased. But um, yeah, it, it came together reasonably well. And I, I think you, you you also get problems where uh, a system starts fighting with with uh, the real world, or what players know about the real world, or what they think they know about the real world. Yeah, what the players think they know about the real world is often a major problem for the for the GM. Uh, an example I use quite a lot is uh, first edition Shadowrun. In order to make things other than gunplay fun, it seriously downplayed the effect of handguns. They, they did very little damage. You, you basically couldn't ever kill somebody with one shot from, yeah. from a normal gun. The problem was the NPCs in published adventures were carrying normal guns. Mm. And if, if you had a bunch of PCs who'd realised this, then... There is a whole problem in putting any object, uh, uh, instrument of violence in, into a game. People are going to argue about, I've got a knife in my hand, surely I must be able to kill them. And GURPS, for one thing, tends to make it quite difficult, unless you get really lucky to kill somebody with one blow with a knife. But people do mm. die with one blow with a knife, and I'm not quite sure how to, to fix well, that. Well, in GURPS at least... If if you've uh, got somebody who knows what he's doing, they they can strike for a vital hit location. Yeah. And quite often, what what actually happens is not somebody is stabbed and they are, they fall over dead. It's they they are stabbed, they fall over unconscious, and then over the next few minutes they bleed out and die. Yeah. And Goats will actually model that. There are a lot of problems, especially with some of the the newer games, the more focused indie games, with the bits that the game system doesn't take interest in the bits that they assume you're going to hand wave. And yeah. I've got a sort of an assumption that those are the bits that are always going to cause you trouble. <laughs> well, a lot of early games, they assumed that for everything except combat. Yeah, and, and we were right. Weren't we right? <laughs> I think, I think uh, the thing I'm taking away from this is, firstly, that you can... Once you, when you haven't played a game, you don't know until you play it where the problem bits are, you can guess, but it, it's only... There are two two different problems of expectations. There's the problem with the newbies and the people who do, do not know um, anything about role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And there is the problem with people who have habits from other games. Yeah. F apart from anything else, I, I think I would probably get much more out of um, indie games if I didn't have the background of role-playing that I have that leads me to expect that things work in a particular yeah. way. I, I find it difficult to get out of that sometimes. I had a very sarcastic um, session with my Monday night group yesterday um, when we played a thing called The Quiet Year, which is a very interesting game, uh, but wasn't what they were used to. And I, I got... Uh, I got. It's not, strictly speaking, a role-playing game. It's a narrative game about um, a post-apocalyptic community Mm. And uh, they they didn't like the I don't think they liked the constraints of, of it, but they were willing to give it a try. God bless them. But uh, I don't think I'm going that, back to that one with them. But I know I'm not. Mm. It's it's yeah. We are old. We have um, we have set habits in our ways, and that I think is a segue into our last segment. As I was saying, we are old, and, uh, well, I'm older than Roger, I want to make this perfectly clear. <laughs> and we have experienced uh, role-playing groups, uh, both of us. 
And one of the things I'm finding increasingly difficult is, as far as I can tell I'm finding it increasingly difficult, is getting my players excited, scared, concerned about uh, the scenarios that I set up. Um, oh, uh, there's something horrendous forming from the dust on the floor. Don't worry, I'll pull, a ban I'll pull my gun and fire a banishment round at it. Was well, something that happened in uh, in my laundry files mm. game a couple of weeks back, and this it's continuously becoming more and more difficult to um, give them that thrill, that, that frisson, and me the satisfaction of aha, I've got them now. To players who have done this sort of thing for a long time, there's a famous cartoon of, uh, of why uh, Call of Cthulhu is different from other role-playing games in as much as they don't investigate, they don't go near the monsters once they, they don't want to know too much of what's going on, so here let's hand the book to the uh, disposable player character <laughs> and run far away and it's not quite that bad, but my I'm finding it difficult to get the thrill, the frisson and what is more, they, they know my tropes, which is going to be uh, a major problem. So how does one solve this? Well, for a start, is it necessarily a problem? Are the players enjoying it? I mean, they keep I, coming I, back. I, I know at least one player who is entirely happy to do, do a lot of planning and then the actual operation goes smoothly, which all, all, the, all the rules of dramatic tension and so on say shouldn't happen. Yeah. But it's actually quite satisfying to do that sometimes. Actually, what is more satisfying is that, and this happened in the in the same uh, laundry game, is that they they find themselves stymied, and then they think, "Oh yes, wait, we remember to bring the tear gas. Let's throw that down the lens and toss them out." <laughs> it's it's satisfying when they are partially stymied and bad things, but survival things have happened to them, uh, but they they still pull it off. There is, um, I had some uh, um, American visitors in playing um, guest parts that one, and they were surprised. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Josh, if you're listening. And they were surprised that we did a lot of planning beforehand. There's a tendency in some modern games to um, allow ex post facto uh, planning. Um, you have traits like preparedness in um, yeah. in some of the uh, the gum, uh, gumshoe systems, uh, Knight, Black, Knights Black Angels. Scottish play, um, <laughs> especially, uh, where, where you can say, uh, well, I have this many points. Can I have already prepared the rocket launcher and brought it with me? I think that's something that's going to depend on the group. I mean, if you've got people in the group who get really fed up with the long planning sessions, yeah, including the GM. Well, I don't object. But, no, so, yeah, but some, some GMs will, will get very bored with this. Yeah. Um, no, you can't. That, that, then it's reasonable. I, mean, I, I, I did a version of this for uh, GURPS Action Games. Mm -hmm. As in a few pyramids back, there are some some games that simply give you benefits for. I don't want to call it acting stupid, so let's call it acting in genre. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you you you, you do go down to the basement on your own with a candle to investigate the strange noise, because you're getting extra plot points for doing it. Yeah, but I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do that. I want them. I want them to step forward confidently, certain that they know that they can handle this. And then, without them feeling I'm being outrageously unfair and pulling rabbits out of my hat or hats out of my rabbit, drop them into a situation which they really can't handle. Yeah, if if, if you want to do something like one of the constrained genres like classic horror, I think you need to do something to encourage people not to, not to be as smart as they are. But the, the, an alternative is simply not to do that sort of genre. Um, What's or, the alternative, then? Well... Come up with challenges that are tough, even for a party at the top of their game. Okay, um, such as what? So that they're still at the. How many management rounds have they got? How um, many can you carry? They have. Uh, they they have one clip for of of banishment rounds. The, the bureaucracy is it, it is checking their um, is checking their receipts for everything and all. I yeah, there are. I, I could overwhelm them with numbers. Can, can they get away with getting into getting into a gunfight in public? No, they can't. Oh, well, they they say something they're, horrible. So yeah, and I, I I think just having different sorts of challenge 
the, the, it sounds as if they're, they're orientated towards the, the basic physical supernatural threat. Yeah. What do they do about audits? Tremble and obey. <laughs> <laughs> the, they, ha, they have not yet done anything with, for which they do not, do not have a plausible excuse, though um, they, they occasionally get into trouble with, uh, with higher management, but then that's what higher management is for. What I'm thinking of. All right, let's leave aside the, the, the particular example. Well, of the, the, the sort of thing that used to be said about high-level D and D parties that you, you just can't challenge them with monsters anymore. Yeah. The answer is to challenge them with things that aren't monsters. Challenge them with social situations. Challenge them with your your aging mother. You know. Well, yeah, I have given. I'm not sure it's going to make them tremble, but one of the uh, player characters has an obsession with kittens. And as a result, he has been contacted by the Queen of the Cats, who live... I can't remember whether it's Uranus or Neptune, the good guys, anyway. Mm -hmm. And she has given him the challenge... He's a dreamwalker, which is how he gets there. And given him the challenge of giving them a reason for saving the human race. <laughs> and giving the player well, humans characters... go, mice follow. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, given the, uh, well, the, the cats are travelling back from the future from after um, Case Nightmare Green. <laughs> and therefore, they're trying to decide whether they intervene or not. And I think that has given a player character... I'm not sure... It's given him a, a burden and a sense of responsibility, but I'm not sure it's giving him a thrill or not. Mm -hmm. All right, you remember... I, I can get a bit pretentious here and, and talk about the social contract, because I think one, one of the mm -hmm. long shadows part, uh, still being cast by original... D&D &D and, yeah. and allied games is the idea that you've got to be at the top of your game all the time. If something comes up that you have a problem dealing with, yeah. you get ready to deal with it next time. Because it's going to get thrown at you again. Yeah. And it does seem to me that if... if I, don't, I don't know quite how one would put this, but it's it's certainly happened in at least some games and some groups that if the GM has a way of saying, okay, I'm not going to beat you completely senseless for, for, for getting one little bit of preparedness... The player characters may, may be more willing to take disadvantages and weaknesses and mm. handles that the GM can use yeah, the, to have fun with them. The the handles, the, the the fears, the terrors, are all very well. But what you need to do, what the what it seems to me that the, the what you need to do, what I need to get on top of, is the ability to put them in the situation to give them the sense that they are down there in the dark with one torch and one gun and there's something out there waiting for them. Or maybe just the, the torch and a tire iron and <laughs> they're going down. I think it's, it's a matter of building in the sensual details and making the place real to them. When I was filming a long time ago um, an episode of a thing called Time Busters, which was a children's TV series, we were filming down in the crypts of a particular uh, old uh, English um, stately home. And the walls, due to uh, the atmospheric condition, were dripping with slime. It was one of the most unpleasant things I had ever been asked to do in um, my, my, my not particularly um, uh, glorious acting career. But I've always meant to bring that back in as you've got to go down it and it's covered with slime. I'm not sure. Being there in that moment was really disgusting. And I'm glad I'm never going to have to do that again. But I would <laughs> like to be able to bring something like that sensation into the, into the lives of every PC going out into the darkness with inadequate weapons to face something he doesn't understand. One of the, um, it, it, it's a fairly old piece of advice, but uh, when I remember to use it, I think it works quite well, is rem remember to go through other senses. I mean, not necessarily say you must have the sound and the touch and the smell and for for every scene, but remember to mention things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there is a dripping of water, the air feels clammy. Uh, you, you, you brush against the wall and it's, it's left a green patch on the, on your shoulder. I think one of the problems is learning to break your own tropes, your own obsessions, mm. and making it... The trouble is, some of my tropes and my obsessions are part of my core identity, and, and 
as an artist, you don't want to you don't want to break the things that you are interested in in talking about and doing. But, but you, you, but you do want to twist them if you don't want to be. I mean, is, isn't the point of what you do that you can act somebody completely alien? Yeah, but uh, the idea is a responsibility of guilt of the chance of redemption. I suspect are built into my um, worldview and into the worldview of, of some of the things, of the things I tend to run, mm. and I, I I I done an article at Stern I think in in the laundry campaign by bringing benevolent gods, admittedly they're cats, into it. <laughs> so you know there, there's a limit to the benevolence, um, but they're willing to be friendly if you stroke them and feed them um which is a yeah that which is different from cthulhu in that cthulhu doesn't want to be stroked and he wants to feed on you yeah um i do try to vary the tone of things a bit yeah your latest uh post-apocalyptic well near future thing is very very depressing let me say i've been you think you're interesting no the the bleed one oh you, right, the one you're writing up <laughs> for uh, what you're preparing for now is is very bleak by my standards. Well, yes, this this is to some extent deliberate, but I, I'm I'm trying in that quite specifically to to evoke the feelings of noir, as yeah. particularly the the books more than the films. I mean, I I have read a fair bit of Chandler um, mm. in thinking about this, and. One of the key things about it, which doesn't really come over quite so much, is that in in other media sometimes is is that you are basically what there is. You you are pretty much the only guy you can trust. Mm. You, maybe there are a couple of other people like you, but you, know, you you don't go to the cops to get your problem solved because they will solve it in a way that favours them. Yeah. You don't go to the you don't go to the mass media because they're controlled by, and them. so on. Yeah. So, it, it's this whole. Um, down these mean streets must walk a man who is not himself mean. Yeah. I'm still not... So, uh, but yeah. what, I'm, what I'm writing up at the moment is the mean streets, not the unmean men. Okay. <laughs> I think I think you need a chink or a little chink of, of, of blue that uh, the prisoners call the sky. Oscar Wilde. I think you need the... the... That, that's, that's what televisions now, now do when they have a dead channel, after all. <laughs> <laughs> We've sort of wandered from the topic, which yeah. was... Well, here's here's a way of scaring players. Okay. And it's a very quick rule of thumb: if it's on the character sheet, they yeah. want to keep it. That's true. So threaten to take it away. Um, level drain in D and D. Yeah, I always felt level drain was. Uh, I never understood how it was supposed to it's work. It's annoying. People hate it. Yeah. Because it's a thing they've worked for that is being taken away. These these days, you can get it back more easily than. Redoing the adventures. But, well, uh, yeah, the, but but I never understood what it was supposed to represent in the in the game universe, which was your life force is being sucked out. In that case, why is my constitution going down? <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, if, if 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 they've got nice toys and in GURPS terms they haven't spent the points to make them signature gear, those those are things that can be taken away. Um, well, and even if it's a, if it's if it looks as if it's temporary, indeed it may be temporary. Um, then that's a real incentive to go out and do. Mm. Uh, the, the, the question of motivation, I must admit, is well, is one I'm prone to throw at the players. Yeah, uh, if it, you if you don't, yeah, if you if you don't uh, buy into this, then we can all go home early. Um, is is a potent threat. Yeah. So so why why are you the sort of person who would be investigating this old house in the swamp? Yeah, is not an unreasonable thing to ask a player. I think, and, th- and then it. it even if you don't necessarily use that motivation in detail, it, it's got them to buy into. I'm the sort of person. It, it should. It should be both. Um, it should be a both carrot and stick. Yeah. If you um, and the trailer Cthulhu is good, is good about this. It's here is the secret of here's a chance to learn the secret of why your father has uh, died in a spontaneous combustion, and here are the bad psychological things which will happen if you don't pursue this clue. Mm. So I think, well, or in, in Gerp's terms, here, here is the here is the here is the trail to your obsession, and uh, here are the character points you're not going to get if um, <laughs> if, if you fail to follow it up. I'm just remembering some some of the uh, 
Champions games where you you could basically auto generate the adventure by ro rolling for which PC's enemies would turn up that week. But <laughs> I think I think I want. Uh, I, yeah, it's it's. Where do I find surprise for the players? It does depend on the player, and it does depend on the game. But it's a challenge that I'm constantly battling uh, against, and. Sometimes I sit back, I, I do an hour or, or to an hour and a half prep before each game, writing up, assuming that I'm not having to do things like generate characters and, and monsters yep. and things. For an ongoing game. For an ongoing game where I, I know the situation and where I, I'll sit down the day before and write for an hour, an hour and a half and sketch out notes and think. And then I'll sit back and I'll think, right, well, that's that. What I really ought to do is think, hang on, let's take another half hour. Let's go back through that. Let's see where I'm being obvious and go over it one more time. Because I know I have tropes and things that I can pull off easily and I go back to them too often. What I've tried to do is hit, hit a sweet spot between um, under and over preparation. I know I'm going to be improvising stuff once yeah. I see what the PCs do anyway. What, what, what I tend to concentrate on is not so much this is going to happen as this is what this particular NPC is going to be trying to do hmm. if the PCs don't interfere and this is going to be what the results are. Well, that's the, that's the, that's a, a good way to to, to, uh, to put it. But what I want to do is go back and dig a few more traps for their feet <laughs> and dig a few more pits for them to hold, fall into and well, what, find ways to tempt them, I think. Yeah. Temptation is a difficult art. If you've got something character-driven, um, a thing that I like to think about is what is the villain up to? What is he worried about? Yeah. I mean, if anybody could do the sacrifice and gain ultimate power, then people would have already. So why haven't they? What does he think is the reason that other mm. people haven't done it before? What went wrong for them? Um, has why, why does he think he's so much better, apart from your basic megalomania? Yes. What sort of threat is he prepared to deal with? that he thinks is going to try to stop him from doing this. Because that might be a PC-shaped threat, and it might not. It might be completely irrelevant. And he, he might find himself um, with an automatic crossbow full of, full of uh, rowan wood stakes, when what he actually needs to worry about is um, a uh, SO19 team. But Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good trick to pull, if you can pull it, to remind the players, you're not the only adventurers in the world. You're not the only ones who are going around saving it sometimes is a good tr is a good surprise to pull. Yeah, I mean, the, the PCs get to be the heroes of the story. It, it's fairly, it, it, fairly yeah, that is it. that is in written into but, the contract. That doesn't mean they are the most awesome people in the universe. Yeah. But they should... They, sh yeah. they, they, they should be the most awesome people in their bit of it. Yeah. At least most of the time. Hmm. A certain amount of humility. I, I have a bad tendency sometimes to let my player character, my NPCs, my game master characters, do the awesome um, and save the the PCs juice, especially in my fantasy games. And this is a bad thing, and I should stop doing it. Yeah, I've I've had some NPCs that I found really interesting, and when but when the piece, when the players don't find them as interesting as I do, I, I usually try to let them go out, go off stage, and uh, go go and get on with their own things. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm trying to ensure that the really powerful NPCs stay back at base and send the player characters out to do the hard stuff. In one of the Reign of Steel games, I did, did have an, an NPC uh, killer robot who found, found the PCs interesting and tagged around with them. Mm. Which I think they found a little disconcerting, which was good. Yeah. It, it basically took the approach that, um, that the victory of the robots is inevitable, because that was what it had been taught at its factory. Yeah. And therefore, what's the point killing you one or two squishies at a time when they're all going to uh, die soon enough anyway? A very rational and, 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 and cosmopolitan attitude. Well, I've wandered around this stuff. If you can find tips, angles, uh, ways of uh, juggling up your crea our creativity and uh, frightening our players especially, um, please, please let us know about them. Mm, we should probably talk about stealing plots and how to do it in a future episode. Well, yeah, and how not to do it as mm. well. Um, the disaster when I tried to steal the plot of uh, Dorothy L. Sayers' Have His Carcass comes to mind. 
my system for stealing plots tells you why that's a bad idea. We'll save that till next time. Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, another gallimuffry of RPG goodness from me, Michael Kewell. And me, Roger Bell West. If you'd like to talk to us about anything, then you can leave comments at the website or by writing to podcast at techhaley.ly. And we look forward to hearing from you. Very much, we do.